world number one has a second championship point. He's ready. He serves out wide to the backhand of Sitsipas. Swing volley from Djokovic. Can Sitsipas get there? He's put up a high ball. It should be put away. And it is. And it is a 19th major title for the world number one. His second here at Roland Garros. And he closes the gap on Roger and Rafa in that compelling race to be proclaimed the very best of all time. Djokovic from two sets down wins in five. Stefanos Tsitsipas will have to wait a little longer for his first Grand Slam title. There is no stopping Nole. And he's now lapping up the love of the crowd as the 22-year-old Greek sits dejectedly in his chair. Welcome to the latest ATP Tennis Radio podcast on a day when we've wrapped up Roland Garros 2021 with a bit of history. Novak Djokovic has become the first player in the Open Era, which is now 53 years old, to win at least two of every Grand Slam tournament, having won his second Roland Garros title. But he sure did it the hard way. Hello, I'm Chris Bowers. With me is the 17 times Grand Slam champion and Hall of Famer Mark Woodford. Mark, a remarkable final. Two matches in 48 hours for Djokovic of four hours and 11 minutes each. And he came back from two sets to love down for the second time this tournament to beat Stefanos Tsitsipas in the final. Remarkable. It certainly is. It's mind boggling to see Novak have the power of recovery. Obviously, a little slow out of the, the blocks. And, and I, I'm not even sure I can say slow out of the blocks because he was um, outplayed outmaneuvered by Tsitsipas for the first two sets, but he just trusted himself to be able to rebound and it was quite amazing. I'm exhausted from calling the semi-final match and then, you know, today's final uh, as well. Just remarkable. What does it tell us about the physicality of today's tennis? I mean, it's a remarkable achievement from Djokovic, but I mean, anybody watching this would say, well, yeah, I'm quite a decent tennis player, but there's no way I can last that kind of physicality. Not too many can last uh, those um, uh, at, at such a high level. I, I mean, the match against Nadal certainly is played differently from the way that he would have had to approach the match against Tsitsipas. Uh, you, you know, he is such a, a clean ball striker. Rafa is, you're in for this battle. It's a physical battle. I think today was much more of a mental battle obviously extended into that uh, fifth hour, four hours and 11 minutes as well. But I think he won the mental battle with young Tsitsipas. If you look at the Grand Slam totals, you've got Federer on 20, Nadal on 20, Djokovic on 19. Closing the gap. Closing the gap. He's got Wimbledon to come where he's the defending champion. He's got the US Open shortly after that, where which is probably his best surface. I mean, is he going to finish well ahead of uh, Federer and Nadal? Well, well ahead, um, I, I'm, that, that's still to, to play out. I, I mean, we've spoken about this many times. We're in such a, 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 an era that has the greatest clay court player ever. We probably have seen the greatest grass court player in Federer and Djokovic, the greatest hard court player. And yes, Djokovic has won Wimbledon uh, a couple of times. He's heading into the US Open where you know, he shines very bright on that surface. I I mean, I think for me that Djokovic, after securing the title here, it's a piece of history. Um, it, it is a, a massive effort. And I think now it, it certainly does lead us, lead me to believe that Djokovic 
maybe in a couple of years, might have one or two more than um, the other two. And yet, this final, plus the Australian Open final earlier this year, where Daniel Medvedev got to the final, that was his second major final. This was Stefano Tsitsipas's first, but he wasn't overawed. He played two excellent sets. He was competitive in that fifth set, so he lasted the distance. Maybe also signs that the next generation is ready to take over. It's just not quite closed the gap yet. Maybe not so. I think I, uh, quite yet. I feel they are closer than the generation that maybe has been there uh, over the last, say, seven, eight years that have been trying to um, overtake uh, the, the Marquee Three. I feel like that the Medvedevs and the uh, passes are and team are a little closer to challenging. And obviously age is playing its part in that as well. But boy, um, I, I'm just wondering who, who is out there at Wimbledon that could maybe challenge Novak Djokovic. Um, we've only got a two-week gap now. We usually have a, a three-week gap. But how does he rebound from this magnificent victory today? Well, the next four weeks will tell us. Talking about Tsitsipas, I mean, we have to focus also a bit on Greek tennis because it wasn't just him. He acknowledged when he got to the final that it's both him and Maria Sakkari yes. who got to the semifinals, should really have won her semifinal. But it's been a terrific tournament for Greece and they have really put Greece on the tennis map. They certainly have. And I'm, I'm sure that uh, the Greek Tennis Association uh, will be trying to manoeuvre some uh, uh, their position or their presence and to host some tournaments. We know that uh, some of the successful nations, they have that ability to hold different levels of tennis. And at the moment, I think off the top of my head, there are only two or three other Greek tennis players that are in the rankings. Obviously, Tsitsipas's brother is still up there and uh, they participated in the ATP Cup. They had uh, the second highest ranked player who actually has taken a bit of a tumble of, of recent times. But this is what the success on based on uh, Sakari as well as Sitsipas that you hope that it just regenerates or, or, or I shouldn't say regenerates, but generates some interest, some home growing talent. Uh, I, I really do believe that it's possible for, you know, now that, uh, you know, the interest that Sitsipas and, and Sakari have created that, you know, perhaps they can host some lower level tournaments because they've got to be able to start there. The journey is a long one, but you've got to start at grassroots. Well, as well as this final, as Mark and I have been saying, the match that will stand out in the memory is the semi-final between Djokovic and Rafael Nadal. We'll come to where this leaves Nadal in a few minutes, but this was a quite magnificent match, different to the final against Tsitsipas. And the third set in particular was one of the best sets of tennis that many people watching can recall having seen. I would certainly add myself to that list. And this is what Djokovic said about the whole match afterwards. Definitely the best match that I was part of ever in Roland Garros for me and top three matches that I ever played in my entire career. Considering quality of tennis, playing my biggest rival, you know, on the court where he has had so much success and has been the dominant force in the last 15 plus years and the atmosphere, which was completely electric. Uh, for both players, a lot of support. Interesting what Djokovic said there. But Mark, what will stand out most in the memory for you from that remarkable Djokovic-Nadal match? Well, the, the first remarkable moment had to be when Novak came back, bounced back from five love down and was able to make that first set very competitive. 
I truly felt that if he hadn't have been able to get onto the scoreboard and try and, 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 and actually get three games, he pushed to have break point in the, at 5-3, to go 5-4. Um, if he hadn't have been able to do that, I, I felt like it was going to be one-way traffic. But another moment arrived in the tiebreaker in set three. I, I mean, my mouth is even open now thinking back, but to see Rafa stone a volley he had the open court and I think that miss contributed to the double fault at the, on the first point of the tiebreaker that's what stood out to me it showed that Rafa on clay courts is only human yeah and he looked tired as well after that it looked like it was a, a, a real punch into uh, the 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 abs and it just took his breath away the fact that he missed it and uh, it it certainly turned the momentum around so it's not a 14th Roland Garros title for Nadal or a 21st Grand Slam title, but it's a 19th Grand Slam title for Djokovic, a second Roland Garros title. And we also like to congratulate Barbara Krejcikova on her women's singles title and her remarkable fortnight in general, given that she won the doubles with Katerina Sinyakova. And of course, well done to all the other winners at this tournament. Well, Mark and I will have a look at other talking points from the Roland Garros fortnight in just a moment. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. I'm Chris Bowers alongside the 17-time Grand Slam champion, Mark Woodford. Mark, we obviously expected Rafael Nadal to make a forceful challenge for a 14th title. Mm. He fell in the semi-finals in that wonderful match against Djokovic. Where does this leave him? Hoping for a better draw next year. I mean, that was highly unusual for those three marquee names to be on one side of the draw. I don't think that really helped him. There was a lot of uh, focus on that side of the draw. Uh, and obviously, you have to work your way through, which he, he was able to do. But I, look, it's an end of an era. I, I mean, I was so upset. Uh, the match was at a high level. But Rafa, where does that leave him? Will he even return as Rafa Nadal? It's still unknown. Uh, you know, when you set the records that he has uh, here at Roland Garros, uh, and now that it's over and done with, I, I think it could take a lot out of him. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's a question mark over Rafa at Wimbledon, because it's not a certainly a, a one of his more winningest slams along the way. Um, it might take a lot out of him to recover. I mean, one of the things that struck me about the Djokovic match was the similarity to when John McEnroe beat Bjorn Borg in the Wimbledon final of 1981. Borg was going for a sixth successive mm. Wimbledon title. Mm. He got off to a flyer against McEnroe, took the first set. McEnroe won the second on the tiebreak, the yep. third on the tiebreak, and was actually moderately dominant in the fourth. Not dissimilar at all to the pattern in this. And we know that Borg never recovered from that. Yep. OK, there were extenuating circumstances that aren't the same now. But Nadal turned 35. Right. He puts an awful lot of effort in. We keep saying at some stage it'll catch up with him and he defies age. But do you think actually that this might be the, the stage at which he can't keep on defying it? I hope not. I would love to see Rafa be competitive for another couple of seasons. But, but life has changed for Rafa now. Um, you know, he's recently married. You know, whether there is the prospect of a family starting sometime sooner. Does, does now losing here finally at Roland Garros before the final, does, does that maybe encourage uh, he and his wife to, to look at starting a family? Um, 
I, I yeah, I just, I, I really have, uh, I'm a little uncertain whether, you know, we're going to see the best of Rafa again for the rest of the season. It might take a while to regroup. And of course, the aging process continues. He looked so out of gas. Djokovic was the one when we he saw the, their faces side by side on the screen on the change of ends. It was Rafa that was looking like he had just been in a 10 set match and Djokovic looked quite relaxed and calm and focused. Um, so it, was, it wasn't a surprise in the end that he just didn't have any gas in the tank. Even though there's only a year between them. But of yeah. course, we know that Djokovic plays a slightly more energy efficient form of tennis. Exactly. He gave everything Rafa. And I think at the first juncture, he had that opportunity to win the set 6-love or 6-1. Six 6-1, one. Six one, It yeah. came back in, uh, allowing Djokovic to, to fight back. And I think that was the first uh, change of momentum and... Uh, um, but, uh, oh, look, I, I hope Rafa sticks around for years to come and has another opportunity uh, to take up uh, Grand Slam title 21. The other losing semi-finalist, Sasha Sverev, I mean, he's been in the Grand Slam final. But, um, he had a very good clay court season. He beat Nadal he in uh, Madrid. He won that title. Do you think he's moved forward or do you think he missed an opportunity in the semis? I, I thought the way that he handled himself through adversity, down two sets to love... The emotions, he, he kept it together. I think he felt like that he still had a chance. He looked up the other end. He could see that Tsitsipas was maybe a little nervous as well. He was accepting that he was very tight, but he was willing to stay out there and persevere. And it, it just was on the precipice as they began the fifth set that those few unforced errors started to reappear. Um, I really thought that he showed a, a lot of heart and uh, the way he served. We know that when he gets tight, the second serve becomes uh, very questionable, but we didn't see many double faults from him. I loved the way that he handled himself. He came up in second place, but I think there's going to be a bright end of uh, the, well, the second part of the year, moving on to surfaces that he can be very dangerous on. Do you think it's going to be more dangerous on the hard than on the grass? I, I think, you know, that sometimes we know the summer, the US summer hard court season, depending on the speed of the surface, but he has shone brightly before at those tournaments. The US Open at Flushing Meadows, that could be a, a huge moment and try to erase what happened last year, obviously leading two sets to love. And uh, um, it, it was just a physical battle in the end that he lost to uh, the muscle man in uh, Dominic team. But yeah, I, I, I think he could certainly uh, show up there and take that title. You mentioned team. I mean, he lost in the first round, which we would never have expected in advance. It was a shock. It was a shock, especially when he was two sets up against uh, Andujar. Yep. And yet, uh, he's clearly, having put all that effort into winning the US Open, he's clearly struggling with what it takes to be a Grand Slam champion in an era dominated by the big three. He's running out of gas at the moment. He needs to regenerate in some shape or form. We know he's had off-court issues because he's, he's split from his long-time manager, yep. which I think uh, makes a big difference, especially as his long-time manager is the uh, tournament director in Vienna. Mm -hmm. Do you think that from what we know, we don't know the full story, but do you think from what we know that team just needs some time off? Or do you think there is a danger that actually having got on the Grand Slam role of honour, we may never see the best of him again? 
I hope we do see more of Dominic Team. He's a force in the game. Again, he has been playing the bridesmaid role uh, for a number of seasons, making the finals here several years in a row and losing to Rafa. I'm not sure if taking time off is going to be beneficial for him. He's a man that needs to have hours on the court. Someone that uh, he's worked with trainers, coaches in the past that, you know, keep him disciplined. And I feel like we're seeing an undisciplined Dominic team. We're seeing him uh, not taking time, not thinking through the points. He's trying to pull the trigger too soon. And uh, I think he needs to be a bit more thoughtful, a bit more methodical and to utilize his strength and and, uh, sustain the points a little longer. From two sets of love, uh, he just, as you said, it it looked like a person to me that had not been on the practice courts. Certainly his confidence has been um, taken a hit through COVID times as well. But uh, I I think he needs to be on the practice court and and return to that discipline level that um, he's been renowned for. I also hope that somebody says to him, stop talking yourself into a slump because actually the language he's using at the moment, I'm in a hole, I've got to get out of it. Well, we all get into holes. And maybe just the way to get out of it is to do what you do best. And and look, uh, as you say, with pe- maybe changing the environment around him with some of the people now, they might be telling him to just, you know, admit that you are, you, you know, struggling. Where before he was a pretty good actor and he would, I think, not be as willing or as open as we've seen him in recent months. A couple of other names to throw at you who I think have enhanced their stock at Roland Garros, but tell me what you think. Alejandro Davidovich Fakina, Daniel Medvedev and Diego Schwarzman. Well, Davidovich Fakina, uh, an incredible run, uh, showed his physical talent by battling through two extremely hard matches and then uh, just ran into... Zverev, who you know has the game, I think, regardless of whether uh, Davidovic Fikina is uh, running on on a full tank of gas or whether he was at a de- depleted level, um, Zverev just has the type of game that I think uh, uh, is too big for him. Probably this is the tournament, this is the surface where he can shine. I'm a little doubtful, even though he's made the fourth round of the U.S. Open last year. Not sure that um, we'll see uh, him move through to the quarterfinals of, say, Wimbledon or the US Open in the future. He's going to be a tough, he's a tough player in the draw. He's going to test a lot of the top seeds early on. Um, Medvedev uh, is another one that I I think answered a lot of questions this tournament. Uh, Once he got his confidence going in that first match under the belt, you know, his game just shone through. The balls, the courts, they all suited him this year and it was a terrific run through. I was watching him practice last year thinking, why has this guy never won a match here? I mean, for it's hard to believe, isn't it? His game is suited to clay. Okay, he doesn't slide particularly, but I mean, an awful lot of players play hardcore tennis on clay. Uh, He's he's French in in the sense that he's got a a French coach. He lives Mm -hmm. in in Monaco. South of France, yeah. He's got a a French racket. He's got a French clothing, (laughs) French clothing. Uh, You know, he speaks the language. He He speaks it so well, doesn't he? So well. And yet it's taken until this year for him to win a match. Yeah, look, I... I'm prepared uh, to give him a bit of a break on on the being 0-4 before this year. Last year, he lost to Martin Fuskovitz, who I certainly rate. I think Clay is his best surfer. So I'm prepared to give uh, a bit of a pass for, for Daniel on, on that one. But the three other losses were against Frenchmen. And I think there's nothing than a great challenge that playing French early on because you've got the crowds that are here. 
He's lost to players that actually play good clay court tennis. And when they get the crowd behind them, it lifts them to another level. So I don't think it's been unusual to see him, you know, at 0-4. But this year, he certainly has recovered from COVID. I think once he arrived, he saw that the balls were going to be favourable for him. And he took advantage of that. With that game... Uh, you, you know, it had to it had to happen. He had to get his first victory um, at, at Roland Garros, followed by the second, third, and the fourth. <laughs> and what about Diego, who we all love because he's one meter seventy or five foot seven? Yeah. And we all love to see the little guys doing well. He had a good crack at Rafa. The little fella, little fella plays a big game on clay. Certainly, it's a surface that he can absorb a lot of pace. But he's learned to try and uh, he's learned over the last couple of seasons to that he, if he's going to move on inside the top 10 and remain in there. He's got to keep the, some of the points shorter. Um, saw him the day before Roland Garros started uh, as we were doing a tour around our commentary positions and he was on the practice court, certainly looked down and, and very little confidence. And yet, you know, we're deep into the second week and there he is. I think it just shows that uh, once... Uh, some of these guys, the clay court dogs, once they get onto this surface, you know, they just step up to the challenge. Um, great result for him. And, you know, he loves playing against Rafa, has an ideal game to really test Rafa. And that could have actually taken a lot more out of Rafa than what we know at this moment. One other topic that we've focused a lot on in recent months is the rise and rise of Italian tennis. Now, this is the tournament that they're always going to do well at. Uh, we got Sinner through to the fourth round, yeah. beaten in straight sets by Nadal. Berrettini got to the quarterfinals, albeit with a walkover of a Roger Federer, and took a set off uh, Djokovic. And Musetti did well. I mean, there's a piece of the Foro Italico here at Roland Garros <laughs> when Musetti played Marco Cecchinato. Just wonderful all-Italian yeah. match. But what was interesting was that the Italian crowd here were all for, or mostly for Musetti. Yes. They clearly see something in him. And I feel that he's made progress at this tournament. I was happy to see him play finally. I'd heard uh, bits and pieces about him. I think a few years ago, I may have even called a junior match uh, uh, of his. Not that I have a lot of memories of that. And his game has evolved. Quite honestly, Chris, I, I mean, I think there's been so much talk around Yannick Sinner and his uh, coming good over the last couple of seasons and not in any rush. But I felt like here that we saw Sinner against Nadal be a little too one-dimensional. He wasn't uh, quick enough or able enough to change his game and adapt to Rafa. And yet we saw Musetti, who is a couple of months difference uh, in age, doesn't have that experience that Sinner has accumulated over the last couple of seasons. And he took the first two sets off of the, the, the number one player in the world. So I, I really love the way that Musetti plays. And I think that there is a, a great opportunity. I mean, Italian tennis is so ripe at the moment. Berrettini as well. Cecchinato is maybe coming back into some form. But I, I really like how they all play a little differently. They're not all built the same and they don't all play the same way. I mean, looking at Sinner and Musetti, that for me is almost a bit like uh, Auger Eliassime and Shapovalov yes. in Canada. You've got the one guy who's in the modern idiom of just solid from the back of the court and the other guy with a, a more flashy game. Mm. In this case, um, Sinner is the more solid guy yep. and Musetti the more flashy game. But it may take Mazzetti longer because he's got more elements right. to put together to, to learn when to use what weapons when. Yeah, exactly. And uh, he... he 
We saw glimpses of it uh, for the first two sets. He just ran out of steam. Djokovic, uh, you know, showed why he is the great champion and bounced back strongly. But don't forget Berrettini. He showed a lot of hope um, this year. He was miserable last year, losing to a German uh, qualifier uh, in the fourth round. He never showed up. But this tournament, he did. And it, great weapons. Physically, he is a beast on the court. Uh, the presence is there. Uh, serve the forehand. He moves extraordinarily well. And, and I think an underappreciated backhand slice. We don't see it a lot in men's tennis, but I feel like that that played a key, uh, it was a key shot in his results this tournament. And look, if it wasn't for the curfew hour against Djokovic, things could have turned around in that particular match as well. Do you think Berrettini's got the, the belief that he can go a long way because in many ways his game has got a, a gap and that's on the backhand. I know it's a great slice. It's some breathing space for the oppo- for the opponents yes. but I think only the very top can actually take advantage of it. Um, but it, boy, he puts it to good use because he can slow down that play. It gives him time to get back into the point and we know that anything that comes down the centre third of the court it's a forehand and it is going to be belted back. Well, he might be useful on the grass. You know, he was a semi-finalist in Halle two years ago, Berrettini. And I think that slice really shoots through. With, with the serve, again, with the movement and that backhand slice, you know, he could be a, a, an outside player to reach the semi-finals or even go one better. So the Italians really on the march forward, although I think we may have seen the best of Fabio Fanini. He, did, he had a disappointing tournament. And Lorenzo Sonigo, although he had a good run in Rome, failed to impress. But it's a general upturn in fortunes for the Italians. And yet the same can't be said of the French. For the first time in the open era, France didn't have a player into the third round of either men's or women's singles. But when I spoke to the former world number four and Roland Garros semi-finalist, Sebastien Grosjean, he was quietly optimistic about the future of tennis in France. I mean, it's tough. It's, uh, you know, a generation. We have like three, four guys, you know, at the end of their career, they were top ten. Uh, and they play long, long, you know, like uh, Richard Gasquet played 20 years you know, Gael, Joe, Gilles, they're like 17, 18 years on tour. So we play longer. So it was tough, you know, maybe for the next generation to do well. It's the same with the top guys. Uh, but uh, we have good players, uh, in the juniors. We had uh, four French guys in the semis. So that's a hope for, for the futures. But it's always the same, you know, at the end of era of a generation, maybe we have a two or three years where it's maybe it, it will be difficult but we have some hope with really good young players. I think all the, um, all the countries, you know, maybe they have that situation sometimes. We, we, we saw that with American tennis, not one in the top 30 a few weeks ago. Now we have a good Italian players, but, you know, for years it was tough. And now that's for France. But I think we have a, a good reservoir of young players who's going to come. And... Um, I think we, uh, we'll be okay in a few years, but it's tough, but we have to stick together. The French system has been admired around the world. This Roland Garros is not just a tournament, it's this national centre. Do you think the French system is still working and it's just a matter of generations changing? Or do you think there is something wrong with the system? No, I think the system is, is good, but like every good system, you want to get better, to improve. And I think that's what the Federation wants to do. And uh, they're going to work. Maybe we can also associate the, the private you know, like sector as well, like with academy, 
here in France to work together. Um, but I'm sure, I mean, France is a strong nation. We're going to have a lot of players. And uh, we'll see in a, in, in a few years. Maybe, you know, in grass, you're going to have like a, some good result with the younger players like Hugo Ember who can do very well. And then, you know, maybe French Open will be uh, far behind. So you never know. But uh, we have some good uh, younger players coming out. What's the best thing about the French system? What do you think the French tennis system does well that other systems don't? I, I think the, the, the federation is really involved into the, the region, the clubs. They support every club. Um, tennis is a popular sport, it's amazing sports. Uh, a lot of like, people playing tennis, maybe like three and a half, four million people playing tennis. We need more players uh, competing now, playing tournaments. And can you just give me a couple of names of youngsters who we might be seeing at the top level in five, six, seven years' time? Yeah, I mean, we have the, the good guys. Luca Van Nash is in the final against Arthur Fis, who, by the way, won the Orange Bowl uh, in, in December. Uh, Sean Quinn, uh, Giovanni Mpichi, uh, Perica. That's those guys, they were in the semis here. They're 16, 17. And if they do well, the transition between juniors and seniors, we can see those guys in a, in a few years on uh, Philippe Chatrier. And just to confirm some of those names, the boys' singles champion was Luca Van Asch, who beat Arthur Fies or Arthur Fies in the final. And the boys' doubles was won by Fies and Giovanni Mpechi Pericar, who Fies beat in the semi-finals of the singles on a 7-5 final set tiebreak. So those three names are worth keeping an eye on. In fact, Mpechi Pericar in particular has a game not unlike Denis Shapovalov's. I loved watching him play the couple of matches I saw in the junior boys' tournament. Fies and Pericar, in fact, sat in the player box for the men's doubles final, which was won by the veteran French pair Pierre Huguebert and Nicolas Mau, who you coached, Mark Woodford. Yeah, I spent a, a few years working with Nicolas Mahout, and obviously Pierre Hugues was able to uh, pick up on, on some of the, the help that I was offering um, Nicola, but it was a, a joy to see them win the doubles uh, the other day. Um, they fought back from, uh, well, in the jaws of defeat, uh, and, and that would have not gone down well with a very raucous French crowd that were in attendance. No, it was a very, very good final. But in terms of the development of French tennis, it's easy to say, oh, yeah, well, even though they have one of the four major tournaments, they're not doing very well in the singles and they've got an ageing uh, doubles uh, pair who are champions. And yet the Grand Slam nations have uh, the money that they get from their tournaments, but there's also a lot of pressure on them to, uh, to generate youngsters. And in a way, the French have done better than uh, the Americans, British and Australians. Yep, they have. They've always been able to churn players out. I know that there's a lot of uh, pressure on the French players when they play here. Obviously, the last winner being Yannick Noah in the 80s. And they're just yearning for another Grand Slam champion. But the brilliance of their system is that they have at least half a dozen players generally sitting inside the top 50. Yes, it was a little sparse this year, but, uh, you know, it's sometimes you need a kick in the pants that will help generate the fresh born players coming up in the years to come. And there do seem to be some very exciting young French players. My thanks to Mark Woodford, but that's not it for the podcast. Stay with us, because next we head to London's Queen's Club and the northern German town of Halle, where two ATP 500 events are taking place this coming week. On iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and ATPTour.com, 
This is the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. With the action concluding at Roland Garros, attention very firmly turns to grass and the build-up to Wimbledon. A shorter build-up due to Roland Garros moving their tournament back a week. So how's that affecting preparations? One of the many questions our reporter Anne-Marie Batson put to Chris Pollard, the Director of Digital and Major Events at the British Tennis Authority, the Lawn Tennis Association. Definitely super excited to be, to be back on grass after two years. There's a, a, an apprehension around you know, the fact that we're operating in the midst of a pandemic. Obviously a huge amount of work's been done, extra planning, contingency planning to be prepared. But I think we've covered off every, every single scenario. So I am confident that we'll you know, be able to deliver a world-class tournament. But there is always just that slight sense of nervousness isn't there, just going into the start of the tournament. Talk us through those different scenarios and how you've managed them. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, the, the, the first key question we were looking at is, are we going to have to be behind closed doors? The British government, three or four months ago, published this roadmap, the way out of the pandemic, as it were, the loosening gradually of, of different restrictions. And, you know, we obviously were working very closely with government and with Public Health England, the body responsible for all of the different COVID protocols that are, are in place here. And we've been collaborating very, very closely with them, with the ATP, to make sure that we've got those those different scenarios in place. So the first major decision was, are we going to be behind closed doors or not? Unfortunately, we, we are able to have um, spectators here. And then we were looking at what are the other, you know, more detailed um, protocols. So for example, were players going to be able to stay in private accommodation? Or as things have turned out, are they going to have to be in, in a hotel? And so we've created this minimum risk environment, which involves a very, very sort of tight bubble um, for the players, which allows the tournament to go ahead whilst protecting against community um, transmission. And in particular, the British government and public health authorities were very concerned about uh, COVID variants coming into the country. And that's why we've got quite a tight um, bubble for, for the players to prevent that, that transmission from, from players and into the community. What would you have done differently, Chris? Oh, it's a great question. I mean, luckily, <laughs> we have planned for many, many of these different scenarios that, that I've just been talking about. So actually, when, when you step right back, you know, throughout, and you know, we've, I've been very fortunate to have an experienced um, leadership team managing this tournament and, and all the others, there are no really significant decisions that, that I would have taken differently. You know, from the outset, it was all about building in flexibility and agility so that we we're always able to react quickly to, to the changing circumstances. But I think one of the key takeaways for me was the level of uh, positive collaboration, the kind of can-do attitude that's been experienced by the event team, all of the contractors here on site, but then also the way in which we've worked with the All England Club to make sure there is some consistent protocols throughout the five weeks of the grass court tournament. We've been working very closely with the ATP, as you'd expect, and the WTA across some of our other court, grass court events, and then Public Health England and government. So it's been a really collaborative effort, um, and you know it's, it means that we'll be able to stage um, a safe tournament this year. Another takeaway, I guess, is the visibility of grass court tennis, because of course in 2019, everything was suspended. How important is it that there is a window on grass court tennis events this year? Well, it's so important as us, for, from, from the LTA's perspective, as, as the governing body for, for tennis in Britain, that we were able to stage these tournaments. And so whilst it has been you know, financially incredibly difficult to stage the tournaments, given that costs pretty much double, um, revenues are restricted from, from a spectator capacity standpoint. It was just vital, as you say, that we could stage these tournaments. It is the shop window for our sport in this country. The visibility it gets us is very clear in terms of um, players 
out in parks around the country and playing playing the sport you know the busiest day for for bookings is actually that sunday of wimbledon so it's very clear that with you know both the championships and the the, the, the tournaments like queens here provide that that visibility for our sport which gets people to dust down their rackets stick on their trainers and and go out to their local park and play the sport one of the other things as well is about the increased participation because when things were suspended there was a lot of talk on social media but tennis is a really socially distanced sport do you support that thinking well absolutely yeah you know that the net actually acts as a natural barrier so it is remarkably easy for players to to to, to take part in the sport in a covid safe way and, and actually we've been very very lucky that as Britain has come out of the different lockdowns, you know, tennis has been one of those first sports that's been back. And, and we, the LTA, have been doing a huge amount to you know, really support the clubs, the coaches to, to come back. We invested an unparalleled amount in coaches and venues to support them through the difficult times over the past 15 months. And that's really paid dividends because you know, the number, tennis participation is up. The courts are now open across Britain. People are coming out with this beautiful weather in their droves and actually it's we're on a real spike there's there's more tennis being being played out out there in britain than 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 there has been in many 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 years will this lead to more opportunities for more tennis events across the uk well actually it was just on friday that we announced uh, additional domestic playing uh, opportunities so from an international level um, where historically we've been hosting seven or eight um, domestic tournaments, we, we announced that we're actually nearly doubling that to 15 tournaments. So, so this is at the, the lower levels, the challenger levels, ITF um, thousand levels. We're going to be hosting many more tournaments. That's 15 for men, 15 for women um, next year, subject to um, you know the, 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 the pandemic f- fully passing. But, but we're really excited about that. And it's really, really important for our elite players that they get more opportunities to compete on home turf with 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 home fans to support them so yeah we're really excited about our our future plans and what about the legacy of andy murray and jamie murray as well it's really important that's continued over the next few years oh it is absolutely and it's really nice to see you know particularly on the men's side you know we've got dan evans and cam norrie um also in the draw here and and we really hope that they're gonna you know step into into the fold post post the murrays of course we're hoping that that Andy and, and, and Jamie will progress to the to the, the, the latter stages of the tournament here. But you know, the LTA have been been working closely with 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 Jamie and Andy over the years. You know, with Jamie we, we staged all of the tournaments, the Battle of the Brits tournaments last year. Which through, is great fun. Yeah, they were brilliant. We mm. were we, you know really fortunate that we could go ahead with those, albeit behind closed doors. So, you know, there is there is a really strong legacy that, that we're continuing to build on um post post Andy and Jamie. Um, moving on and hopefully of course they'll both be around for a few more years to come anyway. Finally Chris for you personally what have you learned about yourself over the last few months? Oh great question I mean I've, I've learned a lot I've got to say I've learned probably that I'm lucky to be relatively resilient because there have been certainly a number of long hours you know I was very fortunate earlier in my career I worked in the London Olympics for eight years and I, I thought that was kind of hard work but you know me and all of my team we've got you know 2,000 people working across all of our grass court events and I'm sure they've all learned a thing or two about agility about flexibility um, you know you, you really need to in this job expect the unexpected we had uh, the French Open moving back by a week and that had quite a lot of quite late impacts if, on Nottingham and indeed to an extent the event here so definitely I've learned to expect the unexpected um, resilience has been important but yeah just being flexible because we've just been need, need to plan for a number of different scenarios but just delighted to have almost got to the start line. We've got good forecast. The grass courts are looking immaculate 
I'm really excited for the week ahead. Chris Pollard, thanks very much for talking to us on ATP Tennis Radio. Thank you very much. The action is not limited to London's Queen's Club. The ATP 500 event in Halle, Germany, is equally prestigious and is something of a second grass court home to Roger Federer. Do you feel uh, you're ready to fight for, for titles right now again? Yes and no. Maybe obviously more so on grass and Doha was uh, still very early stages of my comeback. Uh, I was very happy how I played in Paris actually and I had a lot of different tests over there I'd say uh, against the three different opponents I played against also in terms of length of matches and now here in Halle things always come very naturally uh, for me on this surface. Um, uh, you know look I'm, I'm always confident when I come onto the grass courts but I also know that the the, the draws are tough here uh, and I know I could play against some tough first round or second round opponents so I'm not really thinking that far ahead but maybe once I get rolling you know who knows but um, anything any result here is a good result for me to be honest um, as I'm still in on the comeback like you mentioned and um, you know I'm really happy I'm here I wish there was going to be more fans but it is what it is this week and I uh, hope I can play my best we'll see. Ersin Kaderis putting the questions to Roger Federer there. And do check out atptour.com throughout the week for updates and content from both ATP 500 events taking place. Thanks to everyone who took part in this week's programme and especially to Mark Woodford for his views. You can hear more on next week's podcast as we look back on Queen's and Haller and we also discuss what it means ahead of Wimbledon. So that's it from here at Roland Garros. It's been a tournament full of drama, surprises and intense action. Please tell your friends about the ATP Tennis Radio podcast, which is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn and, of course, the ATP Tour website. I'm Chris Bowers. Thanks for listening. And until next week's podcast, enjoy the tennis.